0: This episode is being sponsored by Best Fiends, my favorite mobile puzzle game. Guys, I have something silly to confess. You all know when I started playing Best Fiends. Well, for some reason, I didn't sign in with Game Center on my phone or through Facebook, and guess what happened? I had to get a new phone, and I lost all my progress. And I was up to level 100 by this point. So, naturally, this time, I connected it with Facebook, which turned out to be a great decision because I was able to get gifts and energy from my friends. I'm so thankful that Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events, so it never gets old. So replaying those first 100 levels almost felt new, and I got a few different characters along the way which you use strategically for each level. My favorite so far is Vega, a cute little firefly. My life has been so hectic lately and Best Fiends has become an essential wind down for me when things start to feel chaotic. There's nothing better to combat lizard brain than solving puzzles, especially when they're visually appealing and have a cute storyline. I'm happy to say I'm already at level 285 and ahead of 8 of my friends. If you want to play Best Fiends with me, my friend's code is 1699216. That's 1699216. We can exchange gifts and compare progress. So, engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more
1: great podcasts.
0: This episode contains explicit and adult content. Listener discretion is advised. All cases and stories covered by this podcast are true stories involving real people. The opinions of the host and any interviewees are simply that, opinions. The credibility of any witnesses and what they say is to be determined by the listener. Everyone is presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sunday was a day spent amongst friends and family on the beautiful island of Anguilla for 37-year-olds Casey McPherson Pomeroy and Caleb Gillery. But, by 10 p.m., Caleb would be dead and Casey would be rushed to the hospital, dying shortly after arrival. The events that took place following the deaths of both men led to many unanswered questions, suspicion, allegations of corruption and deceit, a requested coronial inquest, and the hiring of a private investigator. This is Episode 24, Death in Paradise, Casey and Caleb's Story, and this is your host, Genevieve Germain. (音楽) . Just a few items about this podcast. True Crime Real Time is a bi-weekly podcast covering missing persons and unsolved murders. We're available across many platforms such as Castbox, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, and many others. Links, information, and pictures relating to the cases or stories we cover can be found on our website at www.truecrimerealtimepod.com or on our Instagram account, or on our Facebook page. The links to Instagram, our website, and our Facebook page can be found on the podcast channel description. Photos, as well as any other information, are generally posted at the same time as when the episode is published. Now back to the show. 37-year-old Casey McPherson Pomeroy and his wife, 62-year-old Barbara Fenson Pomeroy, lived in the small beach village of Island Harbor in the beautiful tropical island of Anguilla, a location renowned for its fishing and the village of the founding father of the island nation. They had moved from the United States to Anguilla in July 2018, after Casey was accepted into school in the area to pursue a degree in the medical field. We spoke to Casey's sister, Debini, who has been rallying for answers into the death of her brother Casey and his longtime friend Caleb. When we spoke to Debony, we asked her to describe Casey to us.
2: Casey was a happy-go-lucky person. He lit up the room when he walked in. He was always in a good mood and always looking for a fun time. He always made whatever situation fun, even if the situation was not great. He was always a positive person. And everyone that came in contact with him would say the same thing. People just loved him like their brother. A lot of people have said they viewed him as their brother. My brother was a shining light to everyone. He was the life of the party, and everyone loved him. One of the things that he made sure that he knew everyone's birthday that he would come in contact with, and then he would personally call each and every one of them on their birthday every year. That was something really special about him, that he never missed a birthday.
0: Casey and Barbara were in the custom of spending time with Casey's longtime boyhood friends and their respective wives. Four months after moving to Anguilla, Casey and Barbara had invited Casey's friend Caleb Guillory and his wife Carly, as well as Chuck Gross and his wife Alicia, to spend the week between Christmas and New Year. Debony explains to us the longtime friendships between her brother and these individuals.
2: Casey, Caleb, and Chuck have been friends since... They were nine years old. Both of my parents either had one of them or one of their siblings in their classrooms because they were both school teachers. It's a small community. Everybody knows everybody. Caleb's family lived about a quarter mile down the street from us, and Chuck's family lived about two miles away. I remember these three always hanging out together. Chuck and his wife still live in this small town because they're engaged in a family business with Chuck's family. Whenever Casey and his wife and Caleb and his wife would come into town, they would all get together, or they've been known to take trips all together because they're just really good friends. Casey and Barbara, living in the Caribbean, they invited people to come and stay with them, so that's what these other two couples were doing. They went down to visit them for the week between Christmas and New Year's.
0: Before the day ended on December 30, 2018, after a day with close friends at the home of Casey and Barbara Pomeroy, 37-year-olds Casey McPherson Pomeroy and longtime friend Caleb Guillory lost their lives. Initial statements indicated that the party of six returned from a local beach bar just two to three minutes' walk from Casey and Barbara's apartment shortly after 9 p.m., only to realize that Casey had forgotten his shoes. Casey and Caleb then left the apartment to retrieve Casey's shoes. But, shortly after returning to the apartment, Caleb collapsed onto the living room floor, hitting his head, and had then stopped breathing. At 9.49 p.m., Alicia Cross, one of the six people present, rushed to a neighbor's residence to make the emergency call to the police. She had stated to the Royal Anguillan Police that her friend was not breathing and that they needed an ambulance. The EMS and members of the Anguillan Police Force would arrive approximately 15 minutes later, at around 10.05 p.m. Upon arrival, Caleb Guillory was found motionless, laying on his back on the living room floor of the spacious two-bed, two-bath apartment. His right eye was swollen and was black and blue in colour. He was pronounced dead on scene by a medical practitioner. Shortly after EMS and law enforcement arrived at the apartment, Casey McPherson Pomeroy suffered a seizure in the bedroom and was subsequently rushed to the Princess Alexandria Hospital. Casey would pass away shortly after arriving at the hospital, roughly 15 minutes after having the initial seizure. Debony has explained to us the initial details of the events of that night, as well as some additional changes in the story that has been told.
2: The story that we were originally given was that they were all at a beach bar and were walking home, and Casey and Caleb went back to the beach bar to look for Casey's shoes. When they came back to the apartment is when Caleb collapsed on the floor and they called emergency services. By the time emergency services arrived, Caleb had died and Casey started having seizures. Emergency services had taken Casey to the hospital where he later died. This story was given to us by the four witnesses when they returned home from Anguilla. The story has now changed, and Barbara supposedly was sharing a drink with Caleb and Casey when they went back to the beach bar and had set their drink down, and that she was also poisoned because she got sick when they returned back to the apartment and began throwing up in the bathroom. And claims she was poisoned as well. None of this makes any sense. The story keeps changing. The story has changed and keeps
0: changing. All those present in the apartment that evening were Casey, his wife Barbara, Caleb, and his wife Carly, and Chuck and his wife, Alicia. Caleb was pronounced dead on scene, and Casey immediately transported via ambulance to the hospital. Law enforcement indicates that the other four individuals, Barbara, Carly, Chuck, and Alicia, appeared absent-minded and therefore taken to the Princess Alexandria Hospital for a wellness check. The report from law enforcement does not indicate any illness or symptoms of any other individual present that evening. Casey would die shortly after arriving at the hospital, despite the medical staff's best efforts. All four survivors were released back into police custody after initial medical tests and wellness checks were completed. They were brought back to the police station and held in custody. Meanwhile, while on scene at Casey and Barbara's apartment, the police observed what appeared to be illegal substances inside the living room of the apartment. A preliminary search was completed and items collected as exhibits. Based on what was recovered, a search warrant was issued, and additional items were collected and handed over. According to a source on the island, cocaine was located in Alicia's makeup bag and pills containing either MDMA or MDA were found in her handbag. No charges were laid against any of the individuals, even though at least one individual in the group was in possession of illegal substances. In order to secure release from police custody, Law enforcement had requested a fee totaling $40,000 to be paid, presumably $10,000 per individual being held. What this fee represented and to whom it must be paid has not been confirmed, despite requests by the victim's family and their private investigator. Remember, no charges were laid against any one of these individuals. The four survivors paid this fee on the 3rd of January 2019 and were subsequently released from custody. The autopsies of Caleb Guillory and Casey McPherson Pomeroy were started on the 4th of January 2019. Several tissue samples were taken to complete toxicology reports. The pathologist also requested the toxicology reports on the four other surviving individuals that were at the residence that evening. The following day, Friday, January 4th, Barbara's life insurance agent, as well as her friend, and Barbara's niece, flew into Anguilla from the United States to assist. On the same day, Barbara, Casey's widow, filed a claim against Casey's $1.5 million life insurance policy. This was almost immediately after being released from Anguillan custody while still on the island and before the autopsy was completed. There have been allegations of an incomplete or improper police investigation on this case. Both the police commissioner, Paul Morrison, and the governor were off the island at this time, and as such, the allegation of shoddy police work had occurred. This podcast has reached out to the police commissioner, Paul Morrison, to provide a statement against these allegations, and despite getting confirmation that he has read our message, he has not responded. The autopsies were completed on January 7th. Caleb's cause of death listed on his certificate of death was asphyxia due to strangulation, both ligature and manual. Ligature would indicate that something was used to strangle Caleb, such as a belt or a rope, and manual strangulation would note strangulation done by someone's hands. The report also indicates multiple blunt force traumas and seizures. A copy of the toxicology report was not provided. Casey's listed cause of death is acute pulmonary edema, which is heart failure, hemorrhage, as well as acute cardiac toxicity, seizures, and hypothermia. All are consistent with severe overdose or poisoning. Casey's Toxicology reports the presence of cocaine and MDA. MDA and MDMA, which is often known as molly or ecstasy, share a comparable chemical structure. Therefore, MDA pharmacologically works almost the same as MDMA. Both substances release extra serotonin and dopamine into the brain. The release of serotonin results in the ecstatic feeling and an increase in empathetic abilities. An MDA pill takes effect after 20 to 30 minutes, possibly faster if in powdered form. MDA lasts about an hour longer than MDMA. The usual recreational dose of MDA or MDMA produces blood levels in the range of 100 to 250 nanograms per milliliter. The level of MDA found in Casey's toxicology tests completed several days after death was 6,100 nanograms per milliliter. This is more than 24 times higher than the usual recreational range. Pathologist Dr. Stephen King completed both autopsies. Debony has provided a little more information about the pathologist.
2: I think he's from Trinidad. He is not from Anguilla. He is the pathologist for the Caribbean, and I believe he did all his schooling in the United States. They hire him to come in when there's a suspicious case that they need help with, and that's why they brought
0: him in. Between January 7th and January 11th, a close friend of Barbara's had offered to fly his private airplane to Anguilla to bring Barbara and the other three living individuals, along with Casey and Caleb's body, back to the United States. However, both Casey and Caleb's widows authorized to have their bodies promptly cremated shortly after the autopsies were completed on the neighboring island of St. Martin's avoiding the transport back to the United States and preventing any chances for further examinations of the bodies. A source close to the case has stated that he's been given narratives explaining this odd behavior. Allegedly, the survivors were indicating that the police told them that there were two files. One said that Casey overdosed and Caleb was strangled to death. If they accepted that, the case would be closed and everyone could leave the island. The other file would be an investigation and that they would be all held as suspects, therefore they wouldn't be able to leave the island. They said they chose the file that with the actual false deaths so they could leave. They also stated that they were forced to cremate the remains, making it seem as if they were the victims in this whole situation, indicating that they did what they were told to be able to get off the island, being forced to pay people off as they felt unsafe. They described the police force as being so incredibly corrupt. However, the FBI has only painted the Anguillan police as less efficient, but not to a level of corruption as described. This podcast has reached out to the Anguillan Police Commissioner Paul Morrison and asked why the four individuals in question, or at least the one in particular, were not charged with the possession of cocaine. This question was also read and again went unanswered. We've asked Stephanie if there were any known marital issues between Casey and Barbara. She indicated the following.
2: Most couples do have marital issues, and there were some that they had. Casey was wanting to be more financially independent of her because she was the sole provider for them. And I think this was a strain on their relationship. There was no domestic abuse of any kind in the relationship, and no talk of divorce as far as I know. Their marriage is confidential. It takes a court order to view their marriage license. Only in the state of California can you obtain a confidential marriage license. Casey was an actor and producer in Los Angeles for 10 years and very good friends with his talent agent. His agent didn't even know about Barbara, didn't even know that Casey was married. I find that very peculiar. Why wouldn't he know about her? They were best friends. You could call it his double life, essentially, because he was living a double life. His life with Barbara in Fresno, and his life in Los Angeles with other friends and other people, other relationships. Yes, he had other relationships with other people. Did she know about his life in Los Angeles? Did she find out about it? Was she upset about it?
0: There were many particular events, such as changing stories of the events, changes to the life insurance beneficiaries four months before death, quick cremation despite the ability to bring the bodies back to the United States, missing documentation from the autopsy report. A coronial inquest was scheduled in early 2019 after the four witnesses had left the island. A coronial inquest is a court hearing that is held where the coroner considers evidence to determine the medical cause of death and the circumstances surrounding the death. The coroner will typically call witnesses to give evidence. This has been rescheduled a few times as the four witnesses failed to show to provide their evidence. In and around October of 2019, Casey's family has hired a private investigator to assist them in finding the answers and sorting out through the deceptions on this case. We've had the chance to speak with that private investigator.
1: Well, I'm a 47-year veteran of law enforcement, and I've been a reserve law enforcement officer for 32 years. I started my business in 1982, investigative consultants. been helping people and working high-profile cases across the country for 36 years. I have a unique system called Voice Analysis, and I'm the only private investigator in the country licensed to use it. It's a 21st century tube technology, and it's out of Israel. And I'm the rep for Israel, for the U.S., for law enforcement and corporate security. I got involved with Debony because she learned about me with the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. So I spoke to her, went and met her. She brought me on board. But this case is very interesting when I got into it. And I already know how law enforcement is out of the country. It's not as effective or as efficient as it is here in the United States. So... I have to take that in consideration when having to deal with their rules and regulations and and the way that they operate is somewhat different. I started looking at all the facts and circumstances, and I had a conversation just shortly after getting involved with the Chief Morrison, with the Anguilla Law Enforcement, with their public safety, and I just tried to open the door with him to let him know that I wasn't against him or trying to work against him, but I wanted to work a parallel investigation and whatever facts and circumstances it were, if we learned, we would share it and I'd give them information that I find and I would hope and expect that whatever they were doing that they would share with me. But after getting into the case, I've learned that that's not the fact. There's a lot of things missing. We get bits and pieces of uh, documents. There's documents we're not entitled to. Then I find out about their coroner. I see two death certificates uh, with Casey and Kaylee that are completely different. And then I learned about about six or seven weeks ago that the coroner is going to take away some of the information off of Caleb's death certificate, which makes absolutely no sense. And then we had a guy named Allie that was on the island that Debney built a relationship up with and started to trust. And apparently he was well-known and well-known with law enforcement and the people in Anguilla. And he was sharing information with us, and I think the that law enforcement knew that. He was in the business of radio, so he would put certain things out. It weren't uh, kosher and, as far as the um, case was being handled by law enforcement. Apparently, he had an arrest or an encounter with law enforcement with marijuana, and uh, shortly thereafter, he was uh, incarcerated and taken off the streets for six months. They kind of... Um, Dampered our situation of getting inside information. And what bothers me is some of the things that I've learned in the course of the investigation when law enforcement found out about Kaylee and Casey's situation when they showed up at their condo, that there was clearly cocaine present. And not only that, cocaine established in both of their systems when the autopsy was done, but nobody was arrested. The other four survivors, they were taken into custody and shortly after that released on $40,000 something. We don't know whether $40,000 was for an attorney or was it to get them out of jail or whatever. They were not charged, they were held. And I know that's not uncommon in other countries to take people into custody and hold them without charging them. Shortly thereafter, I find out that they're released They um, were offered after they took custody of the two bodies, Chuck and Alicia, who were one of the survivors, and the widow wife of Kay She uh, apparently was in the same bed with Barbara, I should say. And when they moved the bodies and were released from jail and went back through St. Martin, they were offered. By a friend of Barbara's, who we've later learned is, we think, is a little bit more than a friend named Shelby. He offered to fly a private aircraft in and uh, bring them home and bring the bodies home. And for some reason, when Barbara got the bodies into St. Martin, both the bodies were cremated. And that's a big clue to me. And a few weeks ago, Barbara, we knew, had an insurance policy on Casey, which was increased with Casey's knowledge before they left California to go to Angrilla for him to finish attending medical school. They had apparently a, a, a branch of the school there from California. So when they packed up and left, apparently they, Barbara and, and Casey discussed increasing the life insurance on Casey. And before she even left the island... After she got released from jail, she was already calling the insurance company, One to advise them what happened, and hopefully to get something squared away to start the process of uh, accelerating the policy. So that's another clue that I'm looking at. And then we understand that Chuck and Alicia, who were the other couple, was there with them at New Year's. When they got back, they were um, talking about divorce because of what happened in Anguilla. So another small clue and ironically, I got with Devaney shortly after I got involved about trying to raise money to for me to conduct the investigation. So we had decided and put out not only on um, GoFundMe, but did a lot of handouts in um, Oregon about bringing people in to donate money uh, for the investigation. And uh, so I flew out to Oregon to put this, uh, I was going to put a demonstration on about how to travel safe in other countries, from my knowledge, from working cases out of the country. And ironically, Barbara and company show up and sit on the front row. And (laughs) so I had to change my whole protocol talking, not to expose anything about what my investigation was, and Grilla, which I planned to bring some of the facts and circumstances up. Luckily, I had been doing a PowerPoint for the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. I was able to incorporate that along with talking about the Ingrilla situation. Again, Barbara and company sitting on the front row, and then I learned that Barbara was going around to, to Debeny's family with the insurance policy shortly after that, trying to explain to them that it was all ballot. And then shortly after that, she was out along with Chuck and Alicia talking about me, saying that I was arrested for fraud somewhere either in Alabama or Georgia, which is totally false. Just trying to, I guess, cover her trails and her from, from what they know, what I know, has transpired already, which is not in their favor. The insurance company apparently hired an investigator on the island and has been conducting an investigation into Barbara and the facts and circumstances which occurred on New Year's weekend um, a year ago. And at this point, I don't know what the result of their investigation is or was. I know Barbara has, in the last three months, filed a lawsuit against the insurance company in federal court which is kind of interesting, and it's probably really, I guess, provoked Ebony because she's a defendant and directly into the case right now. But it's a good thing because apparently Barbara's given a deposition in the course of this federal case, and she's locked herself in to certain things, so she can't change her story, which is good because if she does, she's going to get impeached. I think it's maybe a good thing that there's a lawsuit pending out there, and I think it's probably going to filter up where Debony may end up having a wrongful death case against Barbara uh, in the course of what's transpired. The insurance company obviously can't pay off until there's an inquest, which has been now postponed three times. And the fourth inquest was supposed to transpire yesterday and today, which hasn't because they've not shown up again. So it's going to be real interesting what law enforcement and the coroner's office does in regards to going forth with this because there's not going to be an insurance settlement until there's a closure of the case or there's a disposition of the case. And I've got some real problems if they are not involved in anything from some of the evidence that I had, really points not in their favor. But if they do go back to an inquest, it may be the fact that they get formally charged with some kind of crime. I am real surprised, and I brought this up with law enforcement, why they haven't been charged with the cocaine that was present. And there were blood tests taken from Chuck, Alicia, and Caleb's widow wife, and Barbara, which we don't know what those results are. But I did talk to the chief of police shortly uh, after I got involved in this case. And one of the things he did bring up was it would be real interesting for you to see what the blood results of Barbara. But at this point in time, the only persons that have those blood results right now of the four survivors is Barbara. So we don't know what they are. There's pages missing out of the autopsy that I'm a little concerned with. We, You don't get a whole package. Nothing's public there, and you can't get open documents because, one, this case is still ongoing, and they're not going to release anything to enhance their investigation, which they have gone on. But the mere fact, if they could get the Four survivors back in front of the coroner's office for an inquest, we might get some answers.
0: I then asked T.J. Ward his thoughts on the latest narrative provided by Barbara in the life insurance lawsuit, whereby she states that after recovering in the hospital from being poisoned herself, she learned days later that Casey and Caleb had died, which we know to be untrue as Caleb had died on scene with everybody in the apartment, and Casey had died shortly after arriving to hospital. In fact, a member of the family had spoken to her on the 1st of January while in police custody with regards to Casey's death.
1: She was taken to the hospital on behalf of law enforcement. She didn't spend time in the hospital. She went there and there was blood drawn, and apparently she got sick, and uh, she claims from saying that there was uh, MDA in her drink, too. But the mere fact, if she had cocaine in her system and put MDA in on top of it, she would have been the same disaster as uh Caleb and, and Casey. Because if he, if she would have missed MDA with cocaine, see, this again, we don't know what her blood results were and whether she's telling the truth or she's she isn't telling the truth. If there she took any MDA as strong as as powerful as MDA is, and mixing it with cocaine, she would have been a victim also. This is the thing I'm telling you about the deposition that she's locked her story in now, so if it changes somewhere along the line, she's going to get impeached. If Debney ends up filing a lawsuit against them, Debney and Casey's father, against her for a wrongful death, she's locked herself into something, so if she changes her story again, which is going to be good for them, and it'll be good for the insurance company also. I'm a little concerned why the insurance company has released the funds to the courts, which is kind of absurd and uh, they're relying on the court's decision whether the funds are going to be paid out but again Debney's a, a defendant in that case everybody's real concerned about this and one of the good things is that a, that a relative of Kaylee is real concerned about this and i think in in my part of my investigation that the weak link in this is probably going to be Kaylee's wife she's a weak link and i think she's a follower and she Barbara's uh, manipulated her There is no way that you're going to sit here and tell me why U.S. citizens who lost their spouses in another country would cremate their their loved ones in another country and not bring them home to share with other family members. That does not make any sense whatsoever. That's a major clue of trying to destruct evidence. Nobody in their right mind is going to, especially one Shelby, who's very well off that we know of, Volunteered to fly a private aircraft into St. Martin to pick them up, bring them home along with Casey and Caleb, and then turn around and have them cremated in St. Martin. And then not returning back to Angrilla when they've been requested three times already and uh, to come back and, and share their story of what transpired. And on top of that, why is law enforcement? not taken any incentive or kept them in custody when there was clearly a crime committed in that apartment, not only two lives being taken from an overdose, and we know for a fact now from the from the autopsies that there was cocaine in her system, why were the other four not arrested? Why were the other not, and when there's two deaths, that does not, I was a drug agent for 11 years, and there was clearly cocaine present in that apartment which is a contributing factor to Casey and Caleb's death. Contributing factor. And four survivors, and probably the other four had cocaine in their system too, why were they not held and charged with a crime? Big question.
0: I then asked his thoughts on the death certificate for Caleb. As that indicates, his cause of death was due to asphyxia, from ligature and manual strangulation, as well as multiple blunt force traumas.
1: That's what the coroner wants to change. He wants to take that out. I've spoke to Dr. Bowden in New York, who's a medical examiner, and shared this information with him. And he said, TJ, that is totally out of character. Why would a coroner make a change of death certificate a year later when it's in conjunction of something that may have transpired in the course of that death? It does not make any sense.
0: I then commented on the probability or possibility of having photographs that were taken during autopsy.
1: I would assume they have all that too, and if they ever close this case, I'll get them. But, and it may be after the fact, going civilly, to um, resolve this matter. But, I mean, there's too many unanswered questions, and the chief of police was not even on the island when this transpired. And then I learn of another death of an individual, a very high-profile person and well-off who was in, in, in the media in Baltimore and in California that owned media groups, that his strange wife was there on the island the same time that Casey and Kate Leib's incident occurred, and his wife died, and there's not a single document on that island about her death, none. What tells me is money talks on that island. I don't know who else has been paid off. But there's a lot of unanswered questions that need to be looked at. And this is a totally strange situation, totally. And it, not to jump back to another case, but in, in Aruba, same thing happened. I go there and start looking at facts and circumstances around Natalie Holloway's disappearance. And I end up learning that the lead investigator was Vandersloot's godfather, his dad's best friend, and worked in of justice from 95 to 98 with his father. And I put that out publicly, and the next night the Aruba Day newspaper gets on Greta Sesteren and said so they got a warrant for my arrest for not having a work permit, which was totally false also so am I surprised at dealing with law enforcement and a, and a criminal investigation in another country? Not at all, not at all so there there's still a lot of unanswered questions in this case, and a lot of facts and circumstances that don't mix. And, and work in a criminal case. And I don't know how trained they are or whatever, but the the facts, the way they're handling this case is totally off the wall. And then to, to be able to get some documents, and there's pages missing out of this report, and pages missing out of this report, and then we bring it up to their attention, and they tell us we're not entitled to that. So that means there's something missing that's material to this case that could hurt it one way or another. But again, they're not going to release or say anything about this case until this inquest transpires, and they're going to have to incorporate the United States government in order to force those individuals to come back to that country to move forward on what they need to do with this inquest, because they are not going to do anything until the courts and the inquest take place. Either it's going to get closed. Which will be totally off the wall and it won't be fair to the families of the deceased. But again, they have made it clear to us that there's nothing going to be released and nothing going to move forward until this inquest takes place. And today, yesterday, and today would have been the fourth notice that was sent out to their lawyers and to them about returning to the island to testify. And of course, we have to take in consideration right now what's going on in the world with this coronavirus. So that may be a delay anyway. It's going to be interesting to see what they do after the fact, after this gets straightened out and things get moving back forward, what actions that the uh, guerrilla law enforcement takes by themselves or with the help of the United States government. So we've already raised the issue of bringing a wrongful death case against Barbara. And the attorneys don't feel that there's enough evidence at this point to do that outside of muddy in the water. And it's probably some good advice from the lawyer not to move forward until there's some additional information that's that's discovered or turned over. So they can definitely, you know, positively say they're going to have a, a lawsuit against her. But, I mean, just, just taking the little bit of evidence that I just told you about, the, the life insurance policy, Something going on with law enforcement with Barbara, how Barbara and them escaped getting arrested. The cocaine is probable cause and part of the crime, or why Caleb and Casey are dead, and what's the blood results of the survivors, which we don't know that. But the mere fact of cocaine being present is a total big crime in in Anguilla, and there's no MDA on the island. So that MDA was brought there by somebody. And of course, Barbara being a nurse, She knows about MDA. She's clearly about MDA, okay? And there's been some looks into Chuck and his family and business into drug trafficking indirectly that I know. So there's been some questions about that. But how did the MDA get on the island? Why would Barbara have two Americans cremated in another country when she clearly had someone that wanted to send her an aircraft privately that had the money? That would have sent an aircraft over there to pick not only them up, but pick the bodies up and bring them back for the surviving families here in the U.S. to be able to share their their losses. And there's no evidence there now. So it'd be different if they were buried. If something came up, they could be assumed. But guess what? She's destroyed the bodies. And the ashes are in her possession, which could lead to some evidence. You can find DNA from ashes. But who's got the ashes? Barbara. But As far as my investigation is concerned, I think getting out to some of these witnesses, and especially Caleb's widowed wife, I think would be interesting. And Chuck and Alicia were supposed to get divorced. It was common knowledge that they were getting divorced because of what transpired in uh, in Gorilla. But um, apparently that hasn't happened yet. If the inquest happens, I think we'll learn a lot more. And if it doesn't happen, there's a possibility that we can get documentation that's missing, that might answer some other questions. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, there are some big victims in this, Debney and Debney's family, and, and Charlie, her, his father, and of course, uh, Caleb's family, and his uncle is real adamant. And I know him, I've met him, I've spent time with him. the The family, Caleb's family, is kind of laid back. And really doesn't want to disturb what's happened because their widowed daughter in law is apparently the only family they have. I think Caleb lost his other brother some time ago in the course of a, a tragedy. And uh, so they they have no kids uh, left. And I think their only connection was Caleb's wife. So they're kind of keeping her protected and so on and so forth and really don't want to get into the facts and circumstances that surround this. But I can tell you that Caleb's uncle is very much wanting to go forward and uh, find out what happened.
0: I asked how many times he thought the coronial inquest could be rescheduled before it gets escalated in any kind of manner or even if it would get
1: escalated. This is fourth time. Devaney told me that there's some good response now from the State Department in order for the government and Anguilla to seek assistance in bringing these witnesses back. So that remains to be seen. But, but now, with this coronavirus going on, you know everything is kind of in a standstill. So right now, we're we're in a standstill. Even the federal courts are in a standstill as far as the insurance money is concerned and where that's going to transpire. Even following answers or entering further depositions or getting an answer back from that is postponed right now. Everything's on hold. There's definitely a lot still to do with this. I mean, there's a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of things that needs to surface before a determination about two individuals that lost their life and who may be responsible I don't know why law enforcement did not take advantage of charging somebody. They would have still had those four in custody or some further answers. Of course, the chief of police, again, was not on the island when this transpired. I don't know if that was their their lead and their potential or excuse or, or whatever, but past tense now. And apparently there was a neighbor. That's supposed to be a real good witness, too, but he's not wanting to get involved. But that remains open, also. There's still a lot of things that need to be looked into this. This is far from being over. Far from being over. I can tell you right now, with the mere fact that an insurance company that was involved with somebody getting paid off and cremating evidence and then evidence not taken at the scene properly, inquest, did the other four have cocaine in their system? And if they did, that just purposely tells me, why weren't they held in custody? That's a party to a crime. The cocaine was part of the crime that killed the two individuals. Not along with the MDA, there was cocaine in the system. And if it was cocaine president, and there was other four that had cocaine in the system, there was four people who should have gone to jail. Four people. They're party to the action of the crime that happened. I don't understand that. I really, really don't. I would have kept all four of them in custody. I've tried to talk to the chief about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. I guarantee you if that happened in the U.S., there'd be four people charged with something. They may have had to post a big bond or something, but there were four people should have been charged. If it happened here in the U.S., they would have been charged without fail. Cocaine present, cocaine killed them, you know, part of the death, and uh, four survivors, and the four survivors probably have cocaine in their system. There's, there's going to be blood tests to show that. Why weren't they formally charged? That's a big question. That could be involuntary manslaughter. We got to get the inquest done. We got to either get cooperation from the United States to assist Anguilla and the um, UK to get them back to Anguilla and somehow get their testimony. That's going to play the big key on this case going forward. The other things that i told you about are clues in, in regard to a crime being committed, and they they know it. They know it. They can't be that stupid. You know, a first grade guy of a police academy is going to know what's going on here. And these people are calling themselves police officers and trained and locking people up. But I mean, look what happened with our guy who was giving us information about the things that weren't being handled right. They swapped him up off the street real quick for marijuana. That's what I said. You're going to put him in jail for marijuana and you got four people that walked on cocaine. And I said, I've already researched the law on cocaine in Anguilla, and it's a very serious crime, and nobody got charged, and there's two deaths on top of that. That's a major, major clue. Major. Somebody dropped the ball, or somebody's got paid off, or somebody something. Okay, there's something going on that we don't know about yet.
0: As you can imagine, an investigation of this caliber, especially one outside of the country, takes time and money. But you can help. Here's a message from Casey's and Caleb's family.
2: Our family, together with the Guillory family and other friends, created a GoFundMe account to help pay for the professional fees associated with this investigation. Our story has been viewed on Facebook approximately 140,000 times. We are asking people to contribute whatever they can. Even a dollar goes a long way.
0: This brings us to the end of today's episode The links to the GoFundMe page, as well as the private investigator's website, will be included in the show notes. And remember, you can read a copy of the crime article on the True Crime Realtime website at www.truecrimerealtimepod.com. This article should be there within the next two business days. And I hope you'll join me again in two weeks' time as we cover the next case. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of True Crime Real Time. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a good rating and leave us a review. This will help our reach and bring more attention to the cases we cover.